Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey! Yeah, we're back at it for another week of geeky goodness. Uh, we got so much to talk about in this particular show. We got some trailers to jump into. We got some uh, Star Wars Kathleen Kennedy conversations to have with South Park. We've got some Sicario three updates, and we're definitely going to talk about. That big variety article from Tatiana Siegel breaking down some more of the behind the scenes dysfunction, dare I say, going on at Marvel. So there's a lot for us to get into. Let's not waste any, any more time and let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you can see some of our current work every weekend on YouTube with the third season of Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City. And also, Strawberry, Short- Strawberry Shortcake, The Perfect Holiday, is out on Netflix right now. Really? Oh, that's great. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Got out there early, so uh, get the holidays started right. That's good. That's good. I've already put on the Christmas music. Unfortunately, no one is selling Christmas trees yet, so I have to wait until that <laughs> happens. But I'm ready to go because fuck Thanksgiving. Um, all right. So <laughs> let's move on. The way the show works is each of us wow. uh, talks about a geek news item amongst ourselves. Uh, and then we take a big break and jump into our main topic. And the Marvel article will be our main topic. But kicking us off, uh, Mr. McClung, please take it away. With trailers, trailers, trailers. It's not even 2024. We're not even to Thanksgiving yet, but we're we're queuing up summer 2024 already, starting with our first look at Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. This came out as of this recording. It came out this morning and uh, you know directed by West Ball from the Maze Runner uh Maze Runner trilogy starring Owen Teague, Peter Macon, William H Macy, Kevin Durant, Freya Allen. Um you know this is this is a not a direct sequel as i was reading like this is a continuation of the story 
but not a direct sequel to War of the Planet of the Apes that came out in 2017. This one was put in development after Disney's purchase of Fox. Um, but based off of this first look, you know, uh, Matt Reeves really captured something special with those last two movies. And I believe it was Rupert, Gray, Rupert Graves did the first one. Um, but they really relaunched this franchise in such an interesting and unique way with the, the advent of the, of the CGI apes, but with Andy Serkis's portrayal of Caesar. Um, this looks to be a fantastic continuation thus far. Granted, it is only a teaser. It's only about 90 seconds. But it, this looks like a fantastic continuation of this story of, you know, the apes... The apes being the dominant species on planet Earth. But gentlemen, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, Johnny, why don't you take it away? What did you think of our first look at Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes? You know, I hate apes. Uh, this is uh, this was actually really good. For a teaser trailer, getting you excited, walking you back into this franchise um, with a new approach. And this is apparently a descendant of Caesar. So as you said, uh, uh, Shannon, a continuation, maybe not a direct sequel but a continuation and certainly under different people in charge of the franchise now. So maybe going in different directions, but I like that the, what seems to be teased here is that this young lead wants to find out how this society came to be. And it makes sense. You, as you become more intelligent, as you become more aware of things, as you become um, more thoughtful, you start to wonder about your existence and how you came to be. We're still dealing with that nowadays from so many people. So it makes sense the kid would want to find out what the origins of this society is and why the humans are treated the way they are. So in a way, we're going back to almost the beginning of this franchise in reverse, in that the apes are now in charge. The humans are huddled away and kept in cages or scared or what have you, experimented on possibly, and seeing the new villain really harrowing but the uh, costumes the set pieces everything about this i think struck all the right chords and those um those electric sticks which feel like pruners are pretty scary to see so i thought this was a damn good trailer mikey what'd you think <clears throat> yeah i think the uh the rise rise of planet of the apes uh what's the middle one Rise of Planet of the Apes, Dawn. Battle, Dawn, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for Planet of the Apes. That is like low key one of the best trilogies that people sleep on. They don't. It doesn't come up all the time when we talk about like the great trilogies. But for something that was a sort of reboot of a classic franchise, I mean, those three movies are a plus 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 in my book. And a big part of that is Andy Serkis as Caesar. And I think that. Um, this, although this is sort of not a direct sequel, it's sort of a continuation of the storyline. It really does look like it's taking it to its logical conclusion. I mean, what we have now is the world that we know from this trilogy, and it looks like it's kind of caught up to where the world was in the very first Planet of the Apes movie with Charlton Heston. Mm -hmm. But because these movies have always put the apes front and center and the humans as secondary, instead of having a Charlton Heston human character being the one that uncovers everything, we have an ape character as our lead, as our protagonist. And I think when you think of just the development of the CG itself and the motion capture and all the ape technology to go from all of the apes that we had in the beginning and the gorillas and everything else, but having Caesar be like the only one who talked, then having mm -hmm. like Koba and then having all of the other apes starting to talk in the third one, but not everybody to having a world where the apes are like fully uh, intelligent speaking, the ruling class, like it, 
it it feels like a melding of the newer trilogy with the best of the classic in oh. all the right ways. Like I am so so excited for this movie. Um, these these are like this is it's one of my favorite trilogies to put on uh, over and over again and watch. And so I'm glad that we are continuing on in the new Fox Disney era uh, with this franchise because I think it definitely has earned the right to uh, to keep going. Did you say it was an ape? Plus, plus, plus. Sorry. <laughs> and that was I, Rupert I didn't, Wyatt. <laughs> I didn't, and I won't. <laughs> Too late. It's out there. <laughs> and that was Rupert Wyatt who directed Rise, uh, not Rupert Graves. Rupert Graves is an actor. Oh, right. Um, but but uh, agree with uh, agree with you all. I mean, I thought this just looks so, so stunning. Um, and not really being familiar. I've not seen any of the Maze Runner films, and so not really being familiar with West Ball's work. I mean, just uh, visually, this just looks pretty stunning. And it, and it does seem like the, the humans have sort of are starting to revert back to that feral, that feral state, like kind of how they were getting to in war. And if this is another trilogy, who knows, maybe uh, at the end of, uh, at the end of movie three, we have a, we have a, we have a certain blonde headed astronaut pop up. Uh, But Battle of the, or excuse me, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes comes out May 24th, next summer, Memorial Day. Our second trailer certainly seems like it could be a summer movie. It seems like a lot of fun, but it is the big screen adaptation of The Fall Guy, starring uh, Ryan Gosling, the guy who is Kenneth, 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 I got nothing. Kenneth, Kenneth. There you go, you got it. Emily Blunt, Hannah Waddingham, Winston Duke, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I mean, this is just a really comedically stacked cast. And for those of you who who remember the Lee Majors series, it is about a Hollywood stuntman who kind of moonlights as a little bit of a private eye. And this one just checks off all the boxes. I love this this um, easy role that Ryan Gosling has fallen into in this stage of his career where he is obviously a very very handsome man can 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 act incredibly well and he's also just really freaking funny uh so vogel i'll throw it over to you first what did you think of our first look at the fall guy i i honestly don't think it's fair that ryan gosling is as hot as he is and as funny as he is (laughs) i just don't think it's right i think i think god god should like go like you get this one you get that one like he I mean, Ryan Gosling, great, great, great dramatic actor, great comedic actor. His abs are worldwide famous. Uh, this is great. I mean, as far as a follow-up to what he did in Barbie this past summer, um, this is just cementing him as, like, one of the funniest people in Hollywood. Like, he's hilarious in this trailer. And Emily Blunt, low-key, does comedy great. Like, we all think of Emily Blunt, and we think of Sicario, and we think of these dramatic roles, and we think of A Quiet Place. But, like, think of her back in Devil Wears Prada. Like, she is straight-up hilarious. So the two of them together, just even from the trailer, it just looks like the chemistry is great. I mean, just the banter, the back-and-forth between them. Um, it just looks ridiculous and stupid and super, super fun. It really made me think... You know, we've talked about this before on the show. Like when we all grew up, we grew up in the era of movie stars. We grew up and it was like, oh, that Tom Hanks movie is coming out. That Julia Roberts movie is coming out. Like, you know, that Denzel Washington movie is coming out. And now, even though some of these actors are still big and can still put seats in theaters, it's not quite the same. Like we live in the era of franchises now. But watching these two, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see the Ryan Gosling, Emily Blunt movie. 
Like, I don't really care that it's the light, the big screen adaptation of the fall guy. I don't have that much love for the fall guy, <laughs> but watching the two of them do what they did in this trailer that I'm a hundred percent going to see. Johnny, what'd you think? Well, as an avid watcher of the fall guy and, <laughs> you know, growing up and I was and lover of Lee majors in this role and the lover of the great Heather Thomas, who I thought was criminally shoved aside for Heather Locklear. I loved this series and I thought this was a great fun series. Uh, and so to me, I was like, but I, in no way that I thought, why would you do an, a theatrical adaptation of this series? What's next? Matt Houston. So and at the time I was like, well, this makes no sense, but then you see the trailer and you're like, this makes all the sense in the damn world. This is fantastic. A lot of fun. As you said, Michael, great comedy from Ryan Gosling here from nice guys to Barbie to this, this is, yeah an interesting sequence he, and uh, trajectory of his career uh, that he's going on and he's taking advantage of it. And Emily Blunt can have chemistry with a door. She's so good in roles, both comedy and drama and makes you believe in the relationships that she's in and the back and forth with her and Ryan are just, she's so good at it that it's great to see here. Um, and then David Leach with the action sequences, they were really inventive and interesting. You can see some of the Hobbs and Shaw influence, which he also directed in some of those sequences, which I thought was a lot of fun. But Maybe Aaron Taylor, can. yeah, and Aaron Taylor Johnson essentially playing the, the 2024 version of Tug Speedman from Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I think it's going to be funny to see. So, and, and you know, and Winston Duke, Stephanie Hsu, who's in this as well, and also Hannah Wettingham with now brunette hair. So just a lot of fun overall. And I hope the film lives up to the trailer because this could be a great way to kick off an early summer movie season with a March hit like this that is action film oriented. I'm down with it. So I was really surprised, pleasantly so. I got a good, I, I think it's going to live up to it. I, hmm. I yeah, I'll, maybe I'll eat my words later, but like sometimes you just watch a trailer and you just go, oh yeah, they got this right. Yeah, they got it right. Yeah. And like watching, watching this trailer, like watching the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes trailer, I'm like, this is beautiful. I hope it's amazing. I don't know enough about it yet right. to know for sure, but I'm hopeful. This I just watched, and I'm like, oh yeah, they knocked this out of the park. I can tell you right now. Well, and like the the chemistry that Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling seem to have, it looks like it's the back and forth that we wanted out of the Jungle Cruise with Emily Blunt and The Rock that I think it we're points. going to. I think we're going to get with uh, with Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt. I mean, this just looks like so much fun. Um, and it comes out March 1st. And that brings us to our final trailer. It is called Timeless Heroes, Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. This is a documentary coming to Disney Plus uh, in, in just about a month here. Um, yeah, I mean, they, this is... Harrison Ford, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, James Mangold, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, just basically talking about the the ascendance of Harrison's Harrison Ford's career that has uh, just recently finished with the role of Indiana Jones with Indiana Jones the Dial of Destiny. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they probably, as they were putting this together, they were probably anticipating Dial of Destiny to be a a, a bit of a bigger hit. Um, but the documentary, the trailer for this still kind of checked off all the boxes for me, but uh, Johnny, I'll throw it over to you first. What'd you think of our first look at timeless heroes? Oh, I thought this was great. And, and, you know, it's interesting because there's a perception and certainly Harrison has done very little to 
deter the perception that he's a cantankerous old man who doesn't <laughs> want to be fucked with and just wants to fly his planes into buildings uh, and and what have you. And so and and you know occasionally come back and do these roles or whatever. But this was really sweet to see because I think underneath all the gruff exterior, there is a guy who was able to keep one foot in normal reality and one foot in Hollywood and pulled it off. And not a lot of people can do that walking both sides of the line. And I think he, and I think that's one of the magic um, reasons why people like him so much because they sense there's a realness here. There's also a distance that he wants, which people respect. But when he gets on camera, he delivers, even if it's something crappy like firewall, you're still going to enjoy Harrison Ford in it, whether the movie is good or not. So seeing here the ascendancy of him, I think, is essential because we've all heard the story, the Carpenter story, and this feels like this is the story that's going to get it right and will be the story that we all, or documentary, we all look back on as the foundational truth about Harrison Ford. And then from there, we can kind of go off with all the stories. So I thought it was great. And seeing the old footage, um, seeing Karen Allen there uh, as well, and all of that, I thought was really fun. And uh, getting them all to come back, the older people to come back and talk about their experiences with him, including Harrison. I think it was a nice uh, touch. So yeah, very sweet documentary for sure. Mikey, Timeless Heroes, what'd you think? Uh, it looks timeless. Um, no, I, look, two things. One, uh, Disney Plus, for all that we get our Marvel shows and we do our Loki reviews and we do our Star Wars reviews of those and we get all the Disney movies, the Disney Plus documentaries, if you are a nerd, are great. Oh, like, yeah, I can't... I can't stop talking about the, uh, the the Imagineering documentary. You've got the Industrial Light and Magic documentary. You've got all of the uh, Marvel assembled behind the scenes, the Star Wars behind the scenes. Uh, they've just launched a second season of Behind the Attractions, which is all the behind the scenes and all the nice. different attraction documentaries. They, they do the documentaries really well. Like, they're really, really enjoyable. Additionally, I personally, as a geek and a fan of movies, and I think a lot of our listeners as well, like there was just this specific span of a few years where Spielberg and Lucas, buddy, buddy, hanging out. And like George Lucas is like, I need someone to do music for this new space opera thing I got. And Steven Spielberg's like, you met Johnny Williams? Let me introduce you to him. And then George Lucas is like, you know, I'm working with this guy, Harrison, and I got this. I know you can't do a James Bond movie, Steve, but uh, I got this archaeology idea. And this Han Solo felt like, like there was just this overlap that was just George Lucas and Steven Spielberg hanging out. And that overlap gave birth to most of what we are still talking about all of these years later and harrison ford is right in the dead center of all of that and so i think watching this documentary will be a lovely celebration of harrison ford's career it will be wonderful to just watch he is that movie star he is that guy that we all grew up with and i think everything john said about him is true but additionally i think it will be a snapshot into this weird this weird overlap venn diagram george lucas steven spielberg moment that gave birth to most of modern geekdom or at least a huge chunk of modern geekdom so i'm very excited to watch it yeah i and i didn't i had no clue that this was that this was incoming so to see mm, a trailer yeah. for it i was just so it just warmed my heart i mean I, again no matter what you feel about the last movie about about dial of mm. destiny um watching harrison ford on that press tour 
and the amount of people that were so heartfelt and being like, thank you so much. And you did get to see him kind of open up a little bit and just thanking them back about the, how, you know, playing this role was just, you know, you know, the honor of a lifetime. So I, I am super excited to see uh, the, the, the uh, uh, tough outer shell of curmudgeonly old Harrison Ford get cracked open and watch a little bit of that gooey center field <laughs> filling drip out. Um, so timeless heroes, Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones uh, drops on Disney plus on December 1st. She was my wife. Yeah, there you go. She All right. was my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break. Uh, and then we'll uh, jump into uh, a story here from uh, Kathleen Kennedy and uh, South Park right after this. Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of The Tempest, and I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents that's right three months for only 99 cents with the code buddies b-u-d-d-i-e-s simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code buddies to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv get three months for just 99 cents visit marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now use code buddies explore the extensive library of performances on marquee tv today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at marquee tv on social media Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Do, 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 I like it. I like it. Michael, please. Well, as Johnny said, you know, if. You don't have to wait for this Indiana Jones documentary to get a taste of <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy. You can you can hop right on over to Paramount Plus right now, where the newest South Park special is uh, premiered um, last Friday. Uh, South Park joining the Panderverse. Um, 
so really quickly, if you haven't heard about it yet, in this South Park special, Eric Cartman starts to fear that he is going to be replaced by a diverse woman because he had <laughs> dreams that he was that he he had dreams that he and all his friends were replaced di by diverse women who were all talking about uh, the patriarchy. Um, and then it turns out that in the world of multiverses, there is a Panderverse, and Eric Cartman does get replaced in a multiversal twist <laughs> with a black woman, and he goes to a world where everybody is a female minority. Uh, meanwhile, at Disney, Bob Iger and the Disney brass are really upset because they keep pandering, but and they keep releasing the same movie over and over again, but it's not doing as well. And there's apparently something called the Panderstone, and apparently Kathleen Kennedy has been using it too much. Uh, and we've got the multi, the Pander versus Kathleen Kennedy, who looks a lot like Eric Cartman, and the real Kathleen Kennedy, who is stuck in the Panderverse with Eric Cartman. It's wild. And all you really need to know is that Ka the Eric Cartman Kathleen Kennedy just keeps going around and telling everybody that the only way to solve the problems in any movie is to put a chick in it and make her lame and gay. So that is what they that is what she keeps doing. So basically, uh, South Park has taken a crack at uh, at woke culture, <laughs> Kathleen yeah. Kennedy, Disney, the multiverse, and also toxic fans who send in a lot of letters at Kathleen Kennedy. And so shocking nobody, uh, people on the right have already come out loving on this. Um, Elon Musk is a big fan, and Gina Carano wrote a novel uh about what she thinks about it and uh her opinion that kathleen kennedy is now going to come for uh matt and trey the south park creators and take them out and that we're all going to see that kathleen kennedy really is the devil um because gina carano is going to milk that mandalorian issue of hers for the rest of her life yep. but gentlemen have you watched the pandaverse special yet yes i have not Oh I, 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 no! I looked up. I looked up a couple of clips. I have not seen it yet, but the clips that I that I saw, I laughed. I was like, "This is really funny." I mean, when when uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone go after somebody, I mean, they don't <laughs> they don't hold back. And I think it, at this point, after they went after Spielberg and Lucas <laughs> for, for raping I, Indiana Jones, yep. Oh my god! <laughs> if if they manage to survive that, I don't think Kathleen Kennedy is out for blood. I imagine she's probably not thrilled, nor nor is Bob Iger. Um, but I don't think uh, I, I I don't think Gina Carano's uh, opinions are uh, are are rooted in 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 reality. Yeah. But I Johnny, think what did, yeah, I Johnny, for funny. your money, you you watched yeah. the whole special. What yeah. do you what do you what do you think? I thought this was, was genius. Was it fair? Was it funny? Was it hilarious? Oh, was yeah, it off base? Give me give I me your, was, give me all of it. I thought it was really well done. Look, there's a thing that. Trey Parker and Matt Stone occupy a very unique place in our entertainment sphere in that when they come after you, they don't just come after you as a reaction. They actually write this like really interesting, nuanced take on what they're going after. Because, as you said, Mike, both the people writing the letters complaining about Kathleen Kennedy and Kathleen Kennedy are skewered in this episode. And I love that. It's a fair episode because i also think what i got out of this episode is that trey parker and matt stone are saying you can't just put diversity in for diversity's sake which is also the complaint that a lot of us who have been pushing for diversity in and representation in these films and in these tv shows are getting tired of seeing ourselves and i'm sure people in the lgbtq plus plus community as well don't just put in a gay character and give them one scene or one quick kiss and shove them into the door you know these are the things <laughs> 
yeah. this point with some of these movies, we'll take an entire scene. We usually get about 0.3 seconds. Okay. Give, give me a fucking scene. I'll take it. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. And so I think what Trey Parker and Matt Stone were really deftly doing here is pointing out that there is not enough ex- there's not enough good execution being done of, of, of behind the scenes in terms of writing and creating these characters and making them work in these uh, projects so that when the diversity happens, it makes sense and it's good. And I look at America Chavez in Multiverse of Madness, terrible rollout of a fantastic character with a great legacy in Marvel Comics. And if they had done a better job writing that story out, giving her much more to do, making it a much more interesting character, then the diversity wouldn't have seemed so obvious. And I think that's what they're also kind of highlighting is that they've been putting this in, but haven't done the work to make sure that people can accept it and like the diversity by writing these characters in, in much more fuller and interesting and complex ways. That's more of the serious approach. Comedy-wise, brilliant. Just, I love me a good takedown. And especially if you can make me see your point of view and make me laugh along with it, I dug it to pieces. And who else better than Cartman, who is a a mini MAGA movement all to himself, to to be replaced by a a person of color, a woman of color? I just thought it was genius. And so I I really was blown away by how smart, because they've been a while since they've done one of these that has been this good, you know, so. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think in typical South Park fashion, I think you get the, the Elon Musks and the Gina Caranos going, hey, look, they 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 did it. They really got him. And you're like, wow, you really kind of missed yeah. the whole episode, didn't you? You really missed the point. And, and like, this is what they've always done is that this is where I think South Park does better than most adult animation when it just when it uh, goes into satire, because mm. it's never fully one sided. It's never like we're going after something and we're just going to, this is our side of the argument. They just skewer everything equally and they Mm kind of hit all the points. And so even in this, at the end, you know, Kathleen Kennedy and Cartman are sitting having a conversation and you're like, this is actually a good conversation between like, this is, this is basically Kathleen Kennedy speaking to the fans and the fans speaking to Kathleen Kennedy and it all works. And so they managed to get all of the, they, like, they really hit Kathleen Kennedy hard. They They really hit Disney hard. They, they, they cannot stop talking about how fucking stupid the multiverse is (laughs) and how we're done with the multiverse and we don't want it anymore. Uh, And just woke culture in general, because to your point, I think that look, I think all three of us would say, uh, and if you've listened to the show, you've heard us say it before, that diversity in all of in all content, but since we talk about geek stuff particularly, diversity in geek content is super important. Yeah. But it's not great when you pander. Right. Right. And a lot of studios, not just Disney, sometimes pander. Yeah. Um, but then sometimes when they do something good and create a solid character the right goes, oh, they're still pandering. And you're like, nope, that one was a good one. So I think like Star, uh, South Park trying to make that distinction was really, really smart. Um, but yeah, going after the woke culture, when when uh, when Stan and Kyle are sitting in the principal's office saying, well, this, this, is bla- this black woman says she's Eric Cartman. And he's like, yeah, well, that's not Eric Cartman. Well, Eric Cartman can be a black woman if he wants to be. Well, but it's not Eric Cartman. Well, I think you might have a problem with black people. You probably don't like black Spider-Man. You're like, no, what are you talking about? Like, it was just, they they nailed it. So if you haven't checked it out, go to Paramount Plus and watch it. Uh, I think if you 
like Kathleen Kennedy and Disney and Star Wars, you'll like it. I think if you hate Kathleen Kennedy and Disney and Star Wars, you'll like it. And uh, <laughs> God love that there's anything in this world that all sides of geek culture can agree on. So go watch South Park. There you go. Um, all right. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, and on the other side, we'll be talking a little Sicario 3 news. And of course, don't forget, we'll get into our main topic of that Marvel article uh, right after this. I was like, is that Sicario music? No. I no. Sicario 3. Everybody's dead. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's get into this conversation. Uh, as some of you may know, Sicario is one of my favorite movies. I, I still contend, and I think it's a, a favorite of, of ours. Um, I still contend it is the best movie of 2015, criminally not nominated for Best Picture, nor I think was Villeneuve nominated for Best Director, uh, but it's a film that I really enjoyed, and the sequel is fine, but it's not at the level that the original was, and now there's news coming out that both Taylor Sheridan and Christopher McQuarrie are going to be involved in the Sicario 3, the third installment in this franchise. And that Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin are looking to come back to be a part of the franchise as well. Emily Blunt coming back is a real shock, considering the way the first Sicario film ended with that uh, conversation between her and Benicio del Toro and the Wolves at the end of that movie. So the fact that she might come back now, all these years later, a little more grizzled, a little more aware of what this drug war is all about and really entails could be a very interesting twist on this. Brolin, Benicio, what is their role in all of this? How have they changed since the first movie and the second movie? What's their situation like? Because if you haven't seen the second movie, spoiler alert, someone comes back from the dead somehow. And all of So how are they going to make this work? And what's the commentary that they're going to make? But the number one thing that I'm, I'm uh, really surprised by is that Christopher McQuarrie might be involved in this, either as a director or or as a writer with Taylor Sheridan, of course, writing part of it as well. So, gentlemen, I turn to you. Shannon, I'll go to you first. What do you think about this possibility of um, Macquarie and Sheridan, Emily Blunt, Josh Brolin, Benicio Del Toro, all possibly coming back for a uh, Sicario 3? I mean, a lot of thoughts. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Sicario criminally not nominated and looking at the i i pulled it up real quick to see okay. what was nominated in 2015 and it is a really good year it is a really strong year but they also only nominated eight movies and there's definitely movies on this list that i'm like sicario was way better mm -hmm. um yeah i i thought that first film uh really sort of announcing i i don't think denny villeneuve's ever directed a better movie i mean mm. i think sicario is his best film wow um okay and, and and i would go to say oh yeah i said it um and and I and I would maybe argue as much as I loved Hell or High Water, I'm like, yeah, that this might be the best Taylor Sheridan uh, feature film script. I mean, I, think I would agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, uh, I loved Hell or High Water, but this one was just so tight. The, the marriage of Villeneuve and and uh, Taylor Sheridan. This, I mean, the dread that Villeneuve was able to put in every single shot, even the wide shots. You see this this caravan of SUVs. It's like, oh my God, what is going to happen right now? Yeah. Um, I'm I, I'm with you. I thought uh, Davis Soldado was was fine. 
Um, I really liked Brolin's and, uh, and Benicio Del Toro's characters. I'm like, I love that we're seeing these guys again. Um, I, and I don't think it would have worked with Emily Blunt being in that story. Yeah. That story yeah. didn't really have room for her. Um, the, the fact that we're getting the third one, I think is awesome news. Like where McQuarrie comes in, I'm really curious because is this like, is he finally going to take a break from uh, trying to kill Tom Cruise and uh, get in, get into the world of Sicario? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really, really excited. And, and I do hope that I, I think this would be a good place for Emily Blunt to possibly return that there has been some distance from that speech that she and Benicio del Toro had in that hotel room. Uh, I think that, I think that could be an awesome return of that character. Yeah, Mike. I mean, Christopher McQuarrie is credited uh, a lot of people's perspective with cleaning up the Top Gun Maverick script and quite possibly being one of the big reasons why he made uh, over a billion dollars. So interesting thing to have him possibly involved with the Sicario three here with Taylor Sheridan. Listen, if Chris McQuarrie's in it, I think he's not letting go of Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise not letting go of him. So I think Tom Cruise is going to star in Sicario 3. <laughs> oh, my God. No. You know, Tom Cruise as Emily Blunt. Yeah. As, as Kate. It's going to be like, it's going to be the Mission Impossible move. Like, Emily Blunt is going to come on screen and everyone's going to be happy she's back and she's just going to go rip. And it's going to be Tom Cruise. And he's going to he's gonna do it. He's going to do that Tom Cruise run. Oh, gotta, you know, like he's like, he's going to do it all. Um, no, I, I, I mean, I agree with you guys. I think Sicario, I don't think it's Villeneuve's best movie, but mm. it's, it's a hell of a movie. Emily Blunt's amazing. It's, it, it, it's, it is absolutely, it should have been nominated that yeah. year for best picture. And I think it's one of those movies that in retrospect, uh, fans of fans of all of these people, uh, look back and, are you like yeah no that was that was the better movie what won that year by the way shannon what was the uh i think it was Birdman. i well, mean that's, okay it's a good yeah, movie i can't argue movie. that yeah, but. um the second movie was fine but i i think it didn't reach those heights and like just this 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 lineup of names really sounds like it's going to be one of those things where it's like it's going to be like cars the cars movies if you like the Cars movies, yeah, you, you really only got to watch Cars 1 and Cars 3. You don't fuck with Cars 2. It's going to be like that. It's Sicario and Cars. It's going to be those are the good. Those are going to be the ones um, to check out. But yeah, I I want to know more. I want to know more about like, well, like this is all sort of rumored right now. I want to I want to really get into the nitty gritty of it. But there are like there's a few names in Hollywood right now that if you say those names, you're like, yeah, OK, that. You we're in and Chris McQuarrie and Taylor Sheridan are two of them. So yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Another part of this too, is will they get Roger Deakins back to do the cinematography for this one? Cause he did the, the first uh, film and that was one of some of the most amazing shots as you were mentioning earlier, uh, Shannon, that we've ever seen. Um, and by the way, this is a 2015 film, but you have to look at 2016 for the nominees. Spotlight is what won that year. The Big Short was nominated, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, Revenant, and Room. And Deacons was nominated as well for cinematography, but didn't win. And I would happily toss out Brooklyn, Bridge of Spies, maybe Bridge of Spies, even that's, Room. That's crazy. That's crazy. And, Bridge of Spies, throw, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, Bridge of Spies over Sicario. That's a Spielberg situation, clearly, because Sicario was a way better film than Bridge of Spies. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, so fast. And I guarantee you, if we went back and redid that year, Big Short wins Best Picture over Spotlight. Like, no one talks about Spotlight 
but everyone talks about big short still. So ah, we'll see what happens though. If McCory's involved in, in any way, shape or form, if he directs it, I'm super fucking excited. But if, if he's at least writing it or doing a Passover or is the works with Sheridan to get the script in shape, then I think that's also something to get really excited about uh, for and, Sheridan. And Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the Mexican cartel. I drug lead, I would do it. Drug Lord, uh, please, 100%. Put a mustache on him. Give him a Mexican accent. Uh, I would not complain. I would not complain one bit. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise with a Z? It would be Tom Cruise with a Z, I think. It'd it be, be. Uh, to Tomas. Tomas, Tomas Cruz. Tomas, Tomas, Tomas Cruz. Tomas Cruz. C-R-U-Z. <laughs> Emily, aren't you taking my drugs? All right, anyway, let's get out of here before I get in trouble. All right, let's uh, take a quick break. And we'll dive into that big Marvel article. And, of course, we'll hear more about Scario through us, certainly a ways away, but we'll keep you updated as it goes along. But we'll talk about that Tatiana Siegel article from uh, Variety here right after this. All right, let's move on. Uh, to this article, this was written in Variety, again, as I said earlier, by Tatiana Siegel. And a lot, here are the five five or six main points that I will throw out to talk about here. Uh, one of the things they talked about in the article is how Marvel is trying to – yes, go ahead. No, no, I'm going to – That's one. I'm doing your points for you. Point number one. <laughs> one of the uh, things that popped out of the article was that Marvel is reevaluating the Jonathan Majors situation much more than a wait and see. They're actually possibly pivoting towards Dr. Doom – or maybe even recasting Kang. That's one of the points that stood out. Uh, there was a Marvel's update that not only talked about the budget being $250 million, which is fucking insane to consider how much it's under-tracking, um, but also that Nia DaCosta apparently left during post-production for the Marvels to go and work on Hedda, her Hedda Gabler um, uh, film that she wants to do, starring Tessa Thompson. She went to London to work on it, uh, there was also news about Blade getting a page one rewrite from Logan's Michael Green, one of the three writers from Logan, Michael Green. There were three writers on that film, not just Michael Green here. And apparently one of the drafts had was had a film being led by a bunch of women who were teaching life lessons. And Blade was like the fourth lead. The other sounds thing like, sounds like Kathleen Kennedy got up in there. It's possible. The other uh, <laughs> thing is that um, the, the Victoria Alonso VFX drama was revisited, and we found out that She-Hulk cost $25 million an episode. Someone did the numbers that apparently that whole series was $250 million, which I would absolutely slam my head through multiple walls if that was actually true. Um, and the other part was that uh, talking about Feige being stretched thin and that there was pressure on him to do these shows, do these movies, interconnect them, on a um, accelerated time uh, frame. And the last thing, which is really the big one a lot of people are talking about, is the idea that they are kicking around possibly bringing back both Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson, reuniting the original Avengers for a new Avengers movie. Not just a Secret Wars cameo, not just a flashback, but a full movie. So... Uh, Michael, I go to you first. What are your thoughts on all of these things coming out of this article here from Variety and Tatiana Siegel? Well, in, in 45 seconds or less, go. Yeah. 
I know in the past, I know in the past two weeks, you know, we've been we've been doing a lot of these discussions on like the Marvel book and the Marvel, the yes, Ant-Man Quantumania yes. thing. But really, it's because the industry is talking about it so much. And looking at this article, you can just sort of see the fact that everyone internally at Disney and Marvel is having the same reaction that Marvel fans are having to Marvel right now. Like everybody's Ooh. like, all right, guys, it's not working. Like this isn't great, and there's sp- and some of the stuff is absolutely their fault, and some of the stuff is out of their control. But uh, you know, everybody is scrambling to try and fix this. I think that really all of the Marvel problems, Jonathan Majors aside, all of the Marvel problems boil down to you're trying to do too much too fast. Mm. Like it's really like they don't have a ton of problems. They're they're trying to do too much and they're trying to do it too fast. Everything in this article from um, the special effects issues that they're having, uh, you know, rushing special effects to get in or switching things around um, to, you know, oh, well, we we with, with like with She-Hulk in particular, the way that they made the point in the article about how they're writing the show, the scripts are going out the door, but like they're rushed, they're, everything's going so fast. And then Kevin Feige and the Marvel execs are like, oh, we should put She-Hulk's origin story in the first episode, but that's a whole ton of front loading of special effects that the special effects team wasn't planning on doing till later. Like there's just not a lot of slowing down and looking at everything and saying, let's make sure we do this the right way. And the cascade effect of that is, you know, bad visual effects visual effects teams that are overworked and stressed and unionizing stories that aren't matching up to what we like. Like it's just a cascade effect. And now they're finally realizing that they need to pump the brakes. And so that's sort of the overall vibe from the entire article. Um, I think what I worry is going to happen is that they're going to overcompensate because they're freaking out. Mm. And when you make, when you make decisions based on fear and anxiety, whether you are a 15 year old dealing with your emotions in high school or you're Kevin Feige, you're not going to make the right decisions. And for example, with this whole Jonathan majors thing, they've been building to Kang. They've been building to secret wars. They have a whole plan. Now they might have to adjust that plan. They adjusted the infinity war plan several times. So adjusting a plan is great. But saying, oh, let's just get rid of Kang altogether. The Jonathan Majors thing is too much of an issue. People didn't like Quantumania. Let's throw it all out the window. You would have to do such a hard left from a storytelling standpoint uh, that I think you we fans would just be like, well, this is just bullshit. Like, if you have to recast Jonathan Majors, recast Jonathan Majors. All fans are going to understand. Like, yeah. let's just see how this all goes out. We've said this every week on our Loki reviews. It would be a shame because he's a fantastic actor. And if they get the Kang story right, he would nail it. But obviously, if these issues turn out to be real issues and in a court of law, that holds water. Marvel's gonna have to, Marvel and Disney are gonna have to make the hard call. And I think we would all be okay with that. And I would rather they recast Kang and stick with the plan, make the adjustments you need, but stick with the plan. I think this hard left is a bad idea. Um, as far as DaCosta on the Marvels, I think that's a little bit of a, I don't think that's fully fair. 
Mm. Um, this whole already, I, it, it feels a little bit like everybody knows that the Marvels is going to underperform and they're already going after DaCosta for doing something that, right. from what other people have said, se several directors have done. You don't think that Taika Waititi or James Gunn, when they were in post-production on a Marvel movie and this, it was all shot and they're in the editing bay and they're doing stuff, they're not also working on other stuff? Like, what, they're not getting their next movie prepped? Like, I don't know that that holds much water. And I just feel like that's looking for, we're already trying to scapegoat somebody to say, well... She wasn't there. She was already off doing uh, Hedda. Right. So I don't I don't like that so much. Um, as far as the special effects in general, as I was saying, like that's they're doing too much and they're mm. killing people. And you can see it on screen. Like that's that's really what that boils down to. Oddly, the thing that everybody's freaking out about on Twitter, which is let's bring back all the Avengers. Fuck, I don't care. Like, have you really? read a comic okay. book in the past 60 years? Do you know how many times Jean Grey has come sure, back sure. from the fucking dead in X-Men? Like, like there is no issue to me if the story is correct and you come up with a good reason in a world of multiverses and everything else. Like, if there's a good story and the whole original Avengers come up, like, great. I mean, there are so many ways that that as a concept could be good. To be fair, there are so many ways that that could be a fucking disaster. And as we were just talking about with South Park, could 100% be pandering just to desperately try and get your audience back in the seat. So I think, you know, we all have Michael Keaton in the Flash movie fresh in our brains, which we were all very, very excited about that ultimately was like, okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that one doesn't like Fascinating. conceptually okay. in the world of comic books where characters are coming back all the fucking time. And the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just a comic book, uh, a comic book world brought to life on screen. It's like, yeah, okay, all cool. Right. Shannon, your thoughts on all these? Yeah, you can take more than forty-five seconds. Your thoughts on all <laughs> this here? And Michael's points that he he brought up. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I I agree with Vogel about if you know if the if the story is right absolutely like bring bring the old team back i don't think there's a reality right now as the information was kind of leaked out that this decision doesn't look reactive it doesn't yeah. look like it looks pro it doesn't look like a proactive decision it looks like oh crap the, the boat is sinking what can we do let's bring back the people that we like let's bring back the you know the classic the classic group that's that's that is where the hesitance for me would be now look there could have been in that grand plan that they had maybe that was the plan all along was mm. to bring them back at the end of secret wars you get one more one more ride uh into the sunset with with you know our with our classic avengers before you retire hemsworth permanently you retire renner like this for real this was it um, but again, just when the information leaked out, it seems it seems tough to believe that that is this is not a uh, a band aid. Um, the I, I totally agree with Vogel on the Nia DaCosta situation. Yeah. Um, the a, a director being in post and starting work on another movie is very very common, and it seems like right now they're trying to find they're trying to find the scapegoat, um, which really sucks. Which really sucks for her because even though the tracking apparently isn't, isn't the best. I mean, we haven't seen this movie. Mm. Um, maybe it's going to be great. Who knows? Um, but also the idea that 
she she has has been quoted in interviews like when you're working on a Marvel movie, it's a different experience than than working on your own movie. And I and I, and this is not to say this is this is what her point of view, but I'm kind of like, look, you guys clearly have this. This movie's going to turn out the way you want it to turn out. So maybe my participation isn't as isn't as necessary as it would be like when she did her Candyman reboot. Um, to the Blade thing, yeah, oh, poor Mahershala. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, no matter what you thought of Eternals, like I thought Eternals was fine. Um, <laughs> hearing his voice at the end with Kit Harrington got me so excited. I was like, man, that could be the, the two of them together, wielding swords. I'm like, man, great. You know, chop, taking out vampires. Yeah, it just seems like they don't know what that is that how how you're supposed to do that and, you know we've talked at length mainly Vogel has talked about like how how do you do a PG-13 blade mm-hmm. how how do you do blade correctly but also do it that it fits into the into the mostly family friendly MCU um it'll be curious to see how Deadpool 3 comes out because mm-hmm. everyone has what has what they want Deadpool to be but at the same time you are under that mcu umbrella it's like okay let's let's see how this works out into the jonathan majors thing like yeah i mean the the idea and i imagine that again as this information leaks out we're not getting the entire story probably Um, not i i would have a really hard time believing that you've announced a movie called avengers kang dynasty and be like you know what we're pivoting to dr doom like Doom. Like that is that's yeah exactly <laughs> yeah there's the there's the x over the kang um <laughs> like like at this point is jonathan majors a phenomenal actor absolutely is he the only one no you right, you can find you can find someone else and really i mean depending on whether they follow the books or not i mean in secret wars you're pivoting to doctor doom anyways well, so why not just finish why not to just that finish point, the cycle? I think that's like when you're reading between the lines of this article. First of all, on the because I do think Shannon is correct on the the way it's <laughs> written. It does sound like bringing back the original Avengers sounds a little desperate. But also the framing of this article was all the Marvel execs went to Palm Springs for a retreat. Usually they're popping champagne and like patting themselves on the back. And this year they were like, fuck, what do we do? When you're in a room and you're like, fuck, what do we do? Someone's like, should we bring back? bring back the team like bring back the, like, that, like that is a very natural thing to say and then somebody in the room would go i mean there's we could do that and it could be great and we could be shitty let's just let's let's table that and put it over here i think in the article when they talk about pivoting to dr doom um to me i think that's directly them debating about secret wars like i think yeah. that right now there's there's maybe and we've talked about this if you've read the jonathan hickman secret wars run dr doom's the big bad guy there's a version of this, and this is kind of what I mean about a smart pivot or not. Like maybe right now Kang is going all the way. Like yeah. they had planned Kang Dynasty as Kang and then Secret Wars, they were going to put Kang in the role that Dr. Doom played in the comics. And now they're like, well, do we maybe go back to the comics and Secret Wars is like, there's ways that you could pivot to Doom, as Shannon was just saying, that I think would be a valid adjustment if you wanted to like, de-emphasize Kang. So like there's things like that that they could do. So when you read between the lines, it's like keeping in mind that a bunch of executives going to a retreat, the purpose of a retreat is to throw every fucking idea out there and then come up with a plan. So 
putting things out there like the whole Avengers coming back. Do we get bring in Doctor Doom? Like all of this seems like it's on the table, and I don't think any of it should be taken as they took this to the top. Like they, 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 these were their best ideas, and they were like, Bob, everybody, here's what we got. Um, so yeah, just just to keep in mind because I think sometimes when we read these articles, you think that you read it. And like, well, there was even discussion about bringing the original Avengers back. And then yeah. you go to Twitter and every single Twitter uh, handle is like, they're bringing back the original team. And you're like, okay, everybody take a goddamn breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think what you're saying at the end there, Mike, is is what it feels like is I have a little more distance from the articles. It feels like this was a lot of stuff that was talked about. Like you cut when you catch people at their most desperate moments, they're going to say some pretty, pretty crazy shit. And then when they're more sane, you read back to them the things they said. They're like, oh, man, I really must have been off my head in those moments. And certainly what you're seeing here is uh, not that I've ever had that experience. What you're seeing here is the Marvel doing that situation uh, in company form, which is all these things are being thrown out there and considered. And why wouldn't you consider what to do with Jonathan Majors if this court case, which is going forward at the end of November, really turns ugly? You know, they're. They've they've had other people come forward to talk about their incidences, incidents rather with Jonathan Majors. They're trying to get that case from London to be accepted. That supposedly happened between him and the uh, uh, person who is accusing him of the attack there on the set of Loki two. She worked on the set of Loki two rather, and so there's a lot here that might stain the yeah. brand in the long run. And is it worth it? So how do we? So you go how, if we were to pivot to Doom. Because someone must have read Secret Wars in that room. What do we do? How do we? One would hope. One would hope. Right. One would hope. So you're like, okay, what do we do? How do we make it work? And then you go, well, can we make it work by introducing the villain, the main villain of the Fantastic Four before you introduce the Fantastic Four? Of course, it's a Marvel villain, but could be weird. And it has shades of introducing Black Adam before Shazam, which they'd consider over at DC, which was I thought was crazy. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. The Nia Acosta thing, I think you're right there too, Michael. I think it's unfair because you can't tell me James Gunn wasn't working on Guardians Volume Three while he was doing the Suicide Squad. He was, and so these these are these are creators. And don't forget that the Marvels was pushed from here to there, from here to there to there to here, then reshoots. So as a creator, you're like, I shot this film a year and a half ago. For fuck's sake, I yeah. want to go work on something else for me to feel creatively fulfilled. I might lose Tessa if we push. I might lose funding for the film if we push. I've got to go to London to handle this. And I can't think that she would have gone without Marvel's approval. So if they're if they're trying to throw her under the bus, I think Naya should release some receipts and some texts here and be like, no, nah, man, I got permission. Fuck y'all. You know, and so let's see, though. But yeah, but the Blade stuff, too, under $100 million Blade, I don't know if I buy that. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily Marvel's M.O., but maybe they do it for 120, 110. Uh, the original one, I think, was 41 or 61 million dollars, which is about 83 million dollars in our numbers. So you could do it. It's more of a street-based hero. He's not going to be out in space. So you could do it. And I think you bring in a, a writer like Lo, uh, who wrote Logan and kept Wolverine out of like fighting Galactus. It's a much more smaller yeah. contained story. And maybe that's how they're approaching the Blade situation. So that makes sense. I, I don't agree that they were just tossing around the Avengers thing. I think that's gone a little farther than maybe. maybe. You know, I just feel like maybe there have been some overtures to Robert 
But if they bring back those guys, I think it's a bad message. It's because you're essentially saying to the younger actors who've come in, you guys couldn't do it. So we got to bring back the old people to take the mantle for a little while to see if we can figure out some stuff. And so I don't know if it sends the right message. But again, this gets into the context of things. Like here, right, like here's two examples. Here's two examples. Like just right out. Like so. Yes, if all of the new, t- if if Shang Chi and She Hulk and and Miss Marvel, Marvel yeah, and yeah. Peter Parker and uh, who the fuck is Doctor Monica Strange, Rambeau. Yeah, yeah, Monica yeah. Rambeau are all like trying to defeat Thanos or, or trying to defeat Kang, and they get their asses kicked, and then someone says, "We've got this," and you pan over, and it's the original Avengers, and they all run in and save the day. That's pretty horrible. <laughs> Step aside, but, kids. Step aside. And I know, and I know that they were saying this doesn't count for Secret Wars, and this would be a, its own right. Avengers movie. So, like that, what that is like, this wouldn't happen in this way anyway. But or you have Peter Parker trying to figure out how to lead the team in this multiversal shitstorm and he doesn't know what to do and he ends up coming across tony stark because in the seek in battle world everyone is is still existing Mm. and has a heart to heart with his mentor and everyone in the audience fucking cries because peter parker got to see tony stark one more time oh yeah you know like oh and and meanwhile hawkeye gets to like reunite with natasha and say i'm so sorry for what i did and she's like it's okay you know like yeah it there's versions of bringing these people in that if you did it right and wrote that scene every single one of us would be a fucking puddle in the theater and go oh my god that was amazing i mean there was there was a point in time when i heard that willem dafoe was coming into spider-man no way home and i was like please god no he's the fucking worst i hate him in that movie (laughs) and then they did it perfectly so i just think that again that reaction to they're going to bring in the originals and it's going to undercut every single one of the new characters because we're basically sending them a message that they couldn't cut it is in the execution. Yeah. Um, so it, it could go either way. Now, given where Marvel's been lately, I think it's completely valid to worry that they're going to do it the wrong way. So mm-hmm. I think Shannon is right about the desperation. You're right that it could very much be done wrong. The only other thing I wanted to say on the Blade mm-hmm. front is we talk a lot about, oh, their issue is how do you do a Blade movie and like make it family appropriate? And that is absolutely one issue. But based on what's happening with Blade, I think we're way beyond that. Like the fact that there was even this version that was like, there's these four women and they're the leads and he's almost a site. It really just sounds like they don't even know what they want this movie to be. Like yeah. they know they want Blade in the MCU. They know they want Mahershala Ali to be Blade. They know that him and Kit Harrington should do some shit together. Hmm. Beyond that, it just sounds like they don't fucking know what this is. Like it sounds like with with the with the amount of rewrites and it's a new version of this and a new writer coming in, I think they are literally just desperately trying to go, who is Blade? Yeah. Who is this character going to be in our universe? Like, what is the arc of this movie? What is his journey? And aside from what we know about Blade, which is he's hunting vampire, he's a vampire who's hunting vampires. It just seems like the stress of fitting that into the current MCU while at the same time making him a compelling character and creating a compelling story for him. Like, I just think they haven't even cracked it. I think they just don't know. Which is crazy. It's been through four or five writers and they still can't crack this thing, which is mind blowing. 
but it's but it's the thing of it's not just nailing his story it's Mm. they're trying to figure out how do we use him in the overall universe i mean that's kind of the corner they they have painted themselves into a little bit is there is this expectation that any time a new hero is introduced it's like what's their story how do they fit in i mean because you even can see that with shang chi like shang chi like how why they didn't get a sequel to that going quicker is crazy because like the movie you know it came out in september of 2021 um movie theaters were just starting to get back so i i feel like the article sort of unfairly maligned shang chi like eternals i get like a lot of people didn't like that movie and there's a reason that it did not get the repeat business that a lot of marvel movies get i feel like shang chi i'm like i don't know man it seemed like everyone pretty much like that one yeah. so why they didn't get him why they didn't get him going sooner but knowing that they haven't really cracked the blade story it seems like they haven't really cracked the blade story the fact that wonder man might just be on ice mm. it's kind of like okay let's look at what we were going to do do we need everything maybe let's streamline a little bit and yeah it'll be it'll be really interesting to see like i'm reading an avengers run right now where blade is an avenger and he is such a fun character to have with your with your Carol Danvers, with your She-Hulks. Like this is such a fun addition. You know, you hope you hope they're able to figure it out. But I do. I mean, I, I mean, what they need to do, uh, like you know, if you were if if we were all there in that room in Palm Springs, like you on a whiteboard, you got to go like, okay, where are we at currently? Like, I get. I'm assuming for, by the time we get to the Marvels, we're gonna know the connection between uh, Kamala's uh, bangle and how it relates to whatever, and maybe how it relates to the Ten Rings. I don't know, but like those are so. Like you got this. Shang Chi's got his Ten Rings. You got the bangle on Miss Marvel. And that's all kind of tied to some Cree shit or whatever. And then we've got the multiverse and the TVA and Kang over here. And then we got She-Hulk attorney at law over here. Nobody knows who Spider-Man is. Doctor Strange is over here with Charlize Theron just kind of hopping through the multiverse, probably like preventing incursions or causing incursions or whatever the fuck he's doing. And you put all that on a board and you're like, okay. (laughs) That's what we got. It is way... It is way more complicated than we need to collect these multicolored stones. <laughs> how do we how do we yeah. get this in to like back to here? Because that's the problem is they were doing so much, you know, I mean, and and then the fact that, you know, the most the, the, the best thing they had going for them was finally turning Wanda into the Scarlet Witch. And then she went and got collapsed under a mountain. So, yeah you know, that was probably not smart. So like there's, you just got to go like, like of all the bringing the old Avengers back, like, I'm like, well, fuck that. Like get Wanda out from under that mountain. That's what we want. She was the best part of that movie. Yeah. It seems like the, the thing you walk away from the article and I know we got to wrap up is, is like, they clearly made a decision that was COVID influenced. And now we're seeing the ramifications of that decision and dare I say the consequences of that decision, because it has kind of um, caused a lot of cracks in the MCU that they've got to now how to figure out how to fix and put back together. Because you didn't even mention Daredevil, which they're rewriting from scratch and trying to figure well to fit him into the universe. With but that's why. So, yeah, but I didn't because and, and yeah. ground based. Yeah. Like I didn't mention Daredevil and I didn't mention Blade and I didn't mention anything we haven't seen yet, because like right. that's the point is that those things are still malleable yeah yeah, right like you sort of have this thing like there's stuff that's out 
Like mm-hmm. everything that has happened has happened. Everything that you can watch on Disney Plus or we're going to see the Marvels in theater, like all that exists and you can't change it. Right. Everything that you we haven't seen yet on some level, you can go in and make adjustments. So that yeah. they're, they're at a point right now, they're at this inflection point where they are aware of the same thing that we are aware of, which is you fucked up a little bit. <laughs> and you didn't fuck up the worst you've ever fucked up. There are other franchises sure. that have fucked up way worse than you fucked up. But you gotta, you, you gotta take a beat and get your shit together. Like go get your shit together, come back and we're waiting for you, but go, go fix it. You know what? We've had a lot of good years with you. So we want to keep this marriage going. So go and take the counseling, figure it out. You can come on back and we'll put it back together. That's essentially exactly. this fans. Uh, all right. Well, there you go. That's our uh, Geek Buddies episode. We appreciate you all madly uh, for watching or listening to our show. You can always listen to us on the podcast feed as well. We appreciate it. Uh, Shannon, what are we going to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies, on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung, on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at The Roca Says. Mikey? Uh, well, if you liked this conversation uh, and you like pandering and you like the multiverse and you like Kathleen Kennedy, uh, we got a little bit of everything for you here at the Geek Buddies. And here's what you can do for us. Smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got there. Leave your comments below. What do you think of the trailers? What do you think of Sicario? What do you think of South Park? And what do you think of this Marvel article? Let us know below. Uh, if you're listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing you can do is retweet this video post it on your socials send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies here you go speaking of hanging out with us don't forget we've got our uh, loki episode five a spoiler review that will either be up by this time or will be coming out as you watch this so look uh look for that out mystery you gotta wait and find out who knows who knows who knows you'll find out uh but thank you all so much and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of the geek buddies <gasps> Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.